Hello and welcome to Behind the Scenes with Colin Edmonds, a podcast in which I talk about my life and career as a successful comedy writer in British television. I'll also talk about my interests and inspirations and chat with the occasional guest. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to share it and give us a five-star review. To find out more about me or to order any of my books, please check out my website. All the links are in the podcast notes. Also, if you've got any questions you'd like me to answer in a future episode, then go to the Contacts tab on steamspokenmirrors.com. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Behind the Scenes with Colin Edmonds podcast. This week is the 25th episode, we're very pleased to say. <laughs> so congratulations to you, Dad, on well, uh, 25 successful episodes and continuing. Well, thank you. Most of the feedback that I get from broadcasters and uh, people who are executives in broadcasting all say to me, they all say to me, Do you know, Mark's voice is very good, you know. It really is. He's very, very good indeed. And then I pause and wait for a little, a little bit coming my way. And then you wake up from the dream. <laughs> no, that, no, that no, no, I promise you, Faith, <laughs> it's, it's true what they say. They never praise me, but they always got a good word for you. Oh, Mark's very good. He should go into broadcasting. Oh, that's not true. They should be should be praising you by uh, by every means. <laughs> well, one day I can dream. I uh, I apologise to everyone for hearing my dull. I was going to say sultry tones, but I don't think that's quite no, sultry, right. Sultry's good. No, sultry. <laughs> they are sultry, your tones. Absolutely. But uh, I'm afraid I am back for this episode with that. Most um, welcome. You, you, you have been missed. And it's nice, actually, to be to be sitting opposite someone live and proper here in the converted septic tank in the garden. Well, this episode's going to be a, a little bit of reflection, as well as some anecdotes from your good self as well. Um, <laughs> good, luck, good luck with that one. <laughs> the podcast has done very well. It's been a, a very nice surprise. We've had thousands of listens, so thank you all very much for your continued support. Uh, and we hope you will continue to support us for the many episodes yet to come. Well, I, when, when you, you first asked, suggested, told, cajoled, that we should do this. I thought, well, in the end, the start of lockdown, I decided, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And if we get into double figures with people listening, that would be great. And by double figures, I meant two people. But we've sort of done a bit better than that. And that's that's down to your ingenuity, I would say. Well, between us listening or our loved ones listening, we've made those figures. So. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know that many people, actually. Or I don't know that many people actually like me. So I think we are getting some genuine listens. Which is which is lovely. It really is. It's very pleasing. But I think also in all in all seriousness, for a second, it's been a a good a good avenue to record some stories that otherwise would possibly never be heard and 
would just fall into the yeah. uh, into the black mists of history. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. Never you're to right. be heard by you know members of the general public or people with an interest in uh, in television and yeah. uh, media. They mm. would never hear hear such stories otherwise. You're quite right, and because there are no outlets for these kind of anecdotes, which are personal anecdotes. It was a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Mark Wells. Uh, he suggested though that we maybe sometimes he and me and everyone who's interested in showbiz anecdotes are under the impression that most of the world are interested in those kinds of stories which of course they're not but I still think they're worth recording because as you say they will be lost in the mists of time and uh, we wanted to put together a project uh, with um, uh, put together a project whereby we can chart the history and the life of Peter Pritchard because Peter's uh, work and job involved him leaving school at the age of 14, 15, and then going to America to work in Las Vegas and working with all the greats, including Frank Sinatra, uh, including uh, people like Matt Monroe and Mario Lanza. Names which are lost in the mists of time, once again, of course, yeah, they're consigned to, to Shelby's history. But there are anecdotes and stories in, that Peter told me that I made a note of, which I think probably might become historical of historical interest. For example, you know, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. There is a definitive story that yet hasn't been told about that. So perhaps one day when we have the time and the inclination, we can start putting that stuff together. But I take your point. Yes, my rusty old memories. Yes, I suppose it's, it's worth the time if, if people are very happy to listen. Well, perhaps those uh, Peter stories will be a uh, either a podcast in itself, or maybe some sort of other uh, avenue to note them down. But uh, still, think... good stories to mm. to distribute and to to record. Yeah, no, uh, I think it's a nice book actually, because the the um, the Peter Pritchard archive is very very extensive. Uh, Joan Pritchard, his widow, uh, is still in possession of that and even even the date books you know peter booking various artists like jimmy tarbuck and bob monkhouse and windsor davis and negotiating their deals uh might be of some interest to somebody well we shall uh wait with anticipation for the <laughs> pen to hit the paper <laughs> so just coming back to the podcast, um, have you had any favourites so far? Favourite interviews, favourite episodes or uh, anecdotes that you've heard from people? I haven't got a favourite because I approach each of them with the same kind of what I like to think professional uh, attitude. I find broadcasters, entertainers, writers, anyone in the entertainment industry and show business endlessly fascinating because they are such individuals and something a bit special and so I treat them all with with equal regard and praise and admiration what's been interesting with regard to this particular podcast is that actually we've managed to sneak into the national press on three different occasions that we know of it could have even been more well that's true that's we, that we've spotted sure one was les dennis when les came on an early podcast when we were very much in our infancy you and i and les was talking about 
some stick that he was getting uh, on YouTube with regard to one of the families on Family Fortunes, and there was a, a suggestion of a, a racial uh, undertone uh, to the use of this particular family. And Les was very indignant and defended his corner vigorously uh, talking to me. He really was very cross about it. Uh, and and, of course, and, and I, I'm quite right, of course. That made one of the newspapers. Les Dennis denies racial slur or some such headline. I don't remember what the precise words were. I thought, whoa, okay, somebody's listening. Then... Some weeks later, the voice of the balls, Alan Dedicote, those dulcet tones. Um, Alan, in the course of a conversation with me here, said that what he said was, and I remember this vividly, he said, you know, Cole, if it all ended tomorrow, he said, I wouldn't. I couldn't complain. And that was translated by one newspaper as uh, Alan Dedicote says he's leaving Strictly Come Dancing. You think, well, how the heck did you get that out of that? You know, Alan was very gracious, he didn't mind. Um, then, a third time, talking to Brian Leveson, the sitcom writer, um, who was a, a, one of the premier contributing writers with his partner, Paul, uh, Paul Minette, to the long-running sitcom My Family. He also invented Time After Time, those kinds of shows. He said that he had put together with Paul a revamped version of the Frankie Howard sitcom Up Pompeii. I thought it was I think it was part of the BBC's legacy sitcom where they revisited a bunch of classic sitcoms. And Up Pompeii was commissioned and written and I I read the script and I thought it was very good. And the angle that Brian took was that there was a female lead, a female Lurkio, a lady would play Frankie Howard. Just to put a modern spin on <laughs> a sitcom based in ancient Rome or in, in ancient Pompeii uh, before uh, AD 79. And the show didn't go ahead for one reason or another. I think involving the targeted actress not really wanting to do it for, for whatever reason. Uh, that was translated on many outlets as, oh, um, up Pompeii will be reborn with a female lead and of course Brian was thrilled he thought oh that's good so that might get us a, get us a bit more interested a bit more traction now I thought it was it had been put in the bottom drawer but suddenly people are becoming interested again so that was one positive thing that came from it not that the others were negative but it was it's interesting how someone's listening and so, and so are the newspapers and we've had some very lovely feedback from people, so thank you all very much for your continued support, and uh, hopefully you will continue to join us for the future episodes. Mm. Um, yeah. You will have noticed, of course, that we're not running adverts, although I'm sure we can plug the uh, famed Steam, Smoke and Mirrors franchise and book series. Well, um, I suppose that we, 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 we plug that series subtly, don't we? A lot of people, a lot of the guests, Mike Dixon particularly, and last week Charles Nove, have been very, very flattering with their, well, what they've said about Steam Smoke and Mirrors. I, I just like the idea of not running ads because so so many of them, uh, it, it doesn't sound right. We might end up running ads, so I might cut this bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, although we don't do ads, perhaps we might have a uh, a small 
segment devoted to the Steam Smoke and Mirrors books. But of course, I know you're very modest about the books and don't want to, to plug them too much or their award-winning status for the, uh, <laughs> for the audiobooks. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? The first novel uh, won a big American uh, prize in Los Angeles, a Sovas Award for Carl Jenkinson, who was the narrator of uh, Steam, Smoke and Mirrors, the first book. Uh, the second book, The Lazarus Curiosity, a year later, was also no- nominated for a Sovas Award, didn't win, uh, attained runner-up status, but did win an audioreviewer.com award for best uh, thriller voiceover. And and that was, once again, was, was the marvellous Carl Jenkinson. Uh, Carl was now looking to do book three, which is the Nostradamus Curiosity. But what's really fascinating for me is that once again I find myself doing what I've always done which is writing for a performer because it's interesting that the performer of Steam Smoke and Mirrors has won the award and I don't begrudge that at all because I'm very very used to being in the background it's a quirky thing isn't it where the author of the book is actually in the background and 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 the the very clever actor who, who breathes incredible life into the characters wins wins awards. I, I like that. I, I think it's uh, uh, it's fair to say though that that's a sort of a shared award because it's it's the material of the book as well as the voice and performance of the uh, narrator. So T- it's a it's a it's a mutual effort between yourself and Carl, and and well deserved to both. Tell you what I do do do. I do what do 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 do. do. <laughs> that's a song, I think. Um, I deliberately write the narrative, as readers of the book will know, as a character. But I deliberately write the narrative in a conversational form. I'm not relaying the story to the reader. I'm, I try to speak one-on-one to the reader through the words on the page so that hopefully they can hear um, the voice of my character. Uh, the voice of Professor Artemis Moore actually is based on Orson Welles, that great literary figure, a great eloquent man, filmmaker, uh, actor, extraordinary polymath fellow. And I'm very interested in, in listening to him speak. And so I, th- I think I've deliberately picked up some of his speech patterns in order to impose those on Professor Moore's character. And I really thought I'd nailed it. Until most people say to me, and I promise you this is true, oh, you know, we can hear your voice, you know, when we read the book. And I think, oh, you can hear mine because you're supposed to be hearing Orson Welles. (laughs) And that's not to say that my voice is anything like Orson Welles. It means that I actually haven't captured Orson Welles' voice very well at all. (laughs) Uh, Throughout the podcasts, um, a lot of stories of, of course, uh, Uncle Bob or Bob Monkhouse, as I perhaps should more professionally say, um, <laughs> always perform well, and people are always very interested to hear tales of tales of Bob. And funnily enough, uh, I saw that uh, Bob Monkhouse was trending on Twitter this week, which is a, a bit of a, a strange thing. Eighteen years after he died, yeah. Are you uh, surprised to see that Bob is still attracting attention, and from? Such modern yes forums such as Twitter. Sure, fascinating. No one would be more shocked and thrilled uh, than Bob. 
because he always said that uh, after you're gone, you're gone. And he once famously said to Jeremy Isaacs on a, a face-to-face, um, one-to-one interview show, rather uh, uh, an erudite and, and heavy conversation, uh, he said, no, I'd just as soon as be forgotten after I've gone. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, the governor is still very much to the fore. And yeah, I was, I was sitting up in bed last night, steady call, scrolling through the Twitter and thought, why is Bob Monkhouse trending? And there were dozens, dozens, scores of comments about Bob Monkhouse. A lot of them saying, why is Bob Monkhouse trending? But I remember this joke that he used to do. And I remember seeing him at this venue. And I remember performing with him here and there and everywhere. And when I finally drilled down into it, apparently someone had posted that it was an anniversary of the very first edition of Celebrity Squares yesterday, umpteen years ago. I should have the details uh, uh, to hand, but I don't have them. So, so people were reminiscing about so, the old, yeah. old series. And, and in fair, amongst those jokes were a couple of mine, which I was really pleased to see. Uh, what's more important, though, is that people actually, as you point out, 18 years after he died, people are still remembering him, which is great, you know, when so many performers are forgotten. Well, of course, I mean, possibly his most famous joke or longest lasting joke, which I'm sure you perform far better than I will, so I won't even attempt, Mm -hmm. is still remembered i mean people my age know it not necessarily would know it's from bob monkhouse Mm -hmm. but the joke nevertheless remains and it's in pop culture in numerous numerous things yeah yeah if if, if it's the joke that you're thinking of it actually pitched up in uh in uh in the most recent movie the joker Uh, ironically Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, well spotted. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me. A version of, of that thought. Uh, and the joke is, they will laugh when I said I wanted to be a comedian, dot, dot, dot. They're not laughing now. That's the joke. And I, it's on record that I'd written it as a page filler many, many, many years ago. And it was tucked away. And I, I guess Bob had ticked it. Because oddly enough, it's in the joke books. Mm. It's it's penned in the joke books uh, under comedian, C for comedian, and it was pretty much forgotten about. I'd forgotten about it until we were doing uh, Bob Monkhouse on the spot, and an, an audience with, and Bob was rifling through the books uh, to make sure that there was anything, there was no, nothing that he that he was going to be wasted, and that he could capitalise upon and you press into service. And he came across this, and he said, "You know, I can." I can use this now. I feel I can legitimately perform this joke because I'm a bit older and because I think the circumstances of my status in inverted commas in television now allows me to do that joke. When you first wrote it those years ago, it wasn't right. The time wasn't right. Now it is. And it and it just got legs. Um, I, it was a joke that I wrote but I think it's in the performance and the timing, not only of the performance, but of the usage. And I think probably that was Bob's genius. Had he not waited and waited until the time was right, that joke would have been lost, you know, forgotten. He just used it at the right time. Along with that terrific joke that he penned, um, I, uh, people ask me how I'd like to die. I'd like to die uh, like my old uncle or my old granddad, whatever relative he wants to be. Um, 
peacefully in his sleep, not screaming like his passengers. That was uh, that was a Munchausian masterpiece, and that's gone down in the in the annals of history as as as, as a great Bob joke. Um, it's still used by by many a comedian, and, and rightly so. It's good to give it an airing. Well, it's good to see that those jokes and uh, tales, yeah, last uh, last the, longer than yeah. Well, continue. I don't know yeah, what I'm saying. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting the stuff that's got legs, isn't it? The, the stuff that people fondly remember. But I'm sure if we look back on Bob Monkhouse stand-up performances with some detail and a critical eye, there's an awful lot of good stuff there which uh, deserves another airing, you know. I mean, a lot of the stuff in, in the typewritten joke books and the handwritten joke books uh, that are in the office now um, are really, you can't use now largely because they they haven't aged well and also admittedly some of the subject matter uh, you couldn't possibly address now but they're of their time uh, but there's it, there's still stacks of good stuff there and as you know I do I do resort to the books frequently if I need a bit of help while I'm tapping away on my novels sticking a sticking a, a guaranteed laugh and last week of course Mr Charles Nove um, mentioned Bob's phenomenal memory. Yes, isn't it interesting how people have specific memories of their encounters with Bob? And Charles was always impressed by by Bob's eidetic memory. A couple of people have commented on his uh, memory actually, mm. and said how uh, impressive it was that he could just roll off another joke. Be it, it's it's sort of a encyclopedic, isn't it? You can sort of see his brain going yep. down the column C, all those com- comedians, oh, there's one. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, because it was in a dressing room at Television Centre. We were doing a Bobsaw house and we needed a joke. And rather than reach for the book, he stared into the middle distance. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just picturing the page. And I thought, oh, wow. So I think... Possibly uh, photographic memory. Yeah, eidetic memory, photographic memory. Uh, but also going through the material repeatedly and repeatedly and rehearsing it um, constantly. And I mm. think that wedges... It's like a song, isn't it? Uh, one of the early pop songs that you know or one of the children's nursery rhymes that you learn as a youngster. You hear it often enough, it gets embedded in the brain... Um, but I thought that was very interesting how he, he could actually picture it. But also professionalism in his job because not just, and although learning a song is hard enough, but learning the sheer yeah. number of different topics and yes. different uh, you know genres that he had at his fingertips. Another thing was interesting as well. I, I remember sn- sneaking into the dressing room very quietly and he was sitting at the desk in one of those BBC dressing rooms with the mirror in front of him and he was actually performing the joke in his mind and, and pulling those faces to help the performance and I'd never seen that before he'd never was done he speaking aloud or? no it was oh, in so his brain it, was, it was yeah it was uh, what's the expression it was in, in kind of dumb show mm-hmm. so that it, it, well, yeah I wish we had a camera you could see me doing it but 
I, he was I, just I, doing the gestures. Yeah, and the facial expressions mm. and the eyes and stuff. It, that was really interesting. Uh, that was on a national lottery, that's right, I remember. Yeah. And last week, um, when speaking with Charles, you mentioned a show called Monkhouse's Memory Masters, which was back in 1995. Yeah. Not a show that I think we'd spoken about before. Largely because we'd forgotten about Monkhouse's Memory Masters. Despite it being <laughs> the memory show. <laughs> yeah. It was based on systems of memory. Uh, it, it, ran a, it ran one series... Uh, made by, I think, Action Time for BBC One. Only lasted one series, seven shows, uh, and went for nothing. I didn't do the show. It's the trivia. Since Family Fortunes, it's the only Bob Monkhouse television series, series I didn't work on. Because I think I was doing Gladiators in Birmingham at the time. It must have been the early days of Glads or something. There was one particular reason I couldn't do that show. And so John Junkin, who also, uh, the, the great sainted John Junkin, uh, who was also working for Bob at the time, Bob uh, and John carried that show by themselves to Manchester where it was taped. Um, I did supply some jokes to it before I, I set off to Birmingham to do Glads. Um, but uh, that was very much John's show and... Yeah, this is the only series I didn't do. That's why I've got... I guess I've got no memory of it for that reason. But I just... As I pointed out to Charles last week, I just love the irony of being unable, as you point out, to remember Monkhouse's memory masters. But another uh, attribute of, of Bob would be that even if the show didn't quite go as planned or wasn't as popular as perhaps they would have hoped, uh, Bob still gave his best to the show. Yeah. Oh, undoubtedly. No doubt about it. That was the thing. Mark Wells on the podcast a couple of weeks ago put it very succinctly when he said, Bob as a performer always did more than he needed to do. And and that was that was that was right. I remember when we when we did Wipeout, uh, which was the lunchtime show, which had a f- very, very intensive recording period of 100 shows over a few weeks, sometimes recording five a day, pioneering that particular technique uh, without an audience, actually. Um, not, that it, not that actually an audience mattered. But it was that show whereby Bob deliberately made his performance more difficult than it needed to be. Bob worked harder on the contestant jokes, it made, made me work harder on the contestant jokes as well, but no one worked harder than Bob. Worked harder on the quiz joke, the, the, the question jokes, and worked harder on the monologue than he needed to do. And I said, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, that way, once you've done that, it gets easier the more you do. And I, I thought that was a very interesting psychological approach to approaching a long-running series. You really work work at it damned hard to begin with, and then it, it inevitably gets easier as the whole thing finds its own water level. Um, and we were having a discussion earlier in the week whilst on a walk about um, sending letters to people, be it fan mail or... And when I say people, I mean people of... Within the public eye? Within the public eye, that's yeah. a good description. Yes, it's something that I'd always done. I'd always sent letters of admiration I still do as you know uh, of admiration to people who who I think 
I'd like to write to to say, oh, well done. And, and, all, and, and that was influenced to a large extent by Bob. Uh, Bob was a great one for sending letters to anyone he met, anyone who wrote to him. And I know for a fact that so many of those letters are still in the possession of the people that he sent them to. Uh, people like dear old John Foster, uh, uh, who was a very, very young DJ up at BBC Radio Tees. When he was, I think he was in his early 20s, early teenager, late teenager. Bob was immensely gracious to him and sent him many letters, all of which John Foster's got. Uh, in his file and, and, and treasures. Jane Tunnicliffe, who was a guest on the podcast, she's got a, a wall of letters that, that Bob sent her. Uh, because Bob took great care and attention and trouble over handwriting the letters to everybody who wrote to him. It was always with a quip. Nothing dull, nothing, nothing matter-of-fact or mundane. It was always quirky and interesting. And I suppose I... I sent a fan letter to Bob Monkhouse when he was doing The Golden Shot, as is documented, and I included some jokes, saying I'd like to be a, a joke writer, please. If there's any advice you can give me, that would be great. Uh, and he took the trouble to reply to that. It was one of the few people that I'd sent letters to uh, that bothered to reply. And that tradition, I suppose, I've continued. If I see something I like, I'll drop him a line. And I think it's a sign of a uh, a class act that replies. I mean, difficult and perhaps more difficult in modern day with the likes of social media. However, yeah, it is uh, it is always I think remembered well, always remembered by the individual that receives the response, but also. If it gets picked up that you're someone that replies, mm-hmm. people know that you, you care about the fans. It's like when it comes to, you know, A-list celebrities that spend four hours on the red carpet mm-hmm. signing away and engaging with the fans mm-hmm. rather than those that will just go straight through in 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We'll give them, a, give them a cursory wave, a cursory wave and, and walk on through into the cinema. No, you, that, that's a very good observation. You're quite right. Uh, I think also... The fact that you've actually put pen to paper and walked down to the post office, licked the stamps, peeled the stamp off, stuck it on and stuck it in the post box or down to the post office, that takes some trouble and effort and therefore that suggests um, a very an, a good positive approach to what you want to do by sending that stuff to that person. It's yeah. much more personal. Sure. It's easier to dash off an email. It's so easy to dash off an email now. Or, a, or indeed a, a Facebook talk. post. Or indeed a Facebook post. You just need to you can up sitting up in bed, can't you? But the fact that you've sent a letter to somebody suggests you've gone to great, a great deal of trouble and therefore you wanted to do it. And therefore the, the emotions that you're expressing in, in the letter are heartfelt and genuine. And uh, we also have a very nice email that you received from Terry, which might be nice to just relay to the listener or listeners at home. Yeah, I was going through some old emails from the 2004-2005, that kind of stuff. And I'd just written a quick email to Terry to say, congratulations on proms in the park yesterday. And great as usual. So well done, you know, did, 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 you managed to blunder, uh, blunder your way magnificently through my, hamf- my dreadful words. 
silk purses <laughs> were made out of sow's ears. And I got this email back from from Terry, which is, I think it squares with the response of, of the, the performers of immense class can manage. It, it says, um, Dear Chum, uh, please excuse the tardy nature of this note. I've been up to my shoulder pads in trivia ever since they gave me the old heave-ho from the early mornings. Your witty words were a godsend last Saturday, a brilliance undimmed by ham-fisted delivery. Thank you. Now, it would be very, very easy for Terry to have sat at his old laptop and said, Dear Carl, thank you for the words. We got away with it again. Uh, I, I, might, I, might use you, I might use you next time. But no, to use those expressions like a brilliance undimmed by ham-fisted delivery. There's self-deprecation in there. There's erudition. There's eloquence. And an awful lot of trouble over that one sentence and, and your heart sings when you get that kind of thing that kind of reply from somebody who's taken such trouble and a nice um a nice gesture and shows your your good relationship over many years of working together with the with the great man yes indeed he he was an extraordinary fellow you know uh, he he did say to me he said he said you sound more like me than i do I think I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. It was Guy Freeman who was producing um, one of those Song for Europe shows. Uh, whereby oh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was some years ago, I don't think it happens now, whereby a bunch of songs would be considered by the, uh, the great British uh, viewing public and they would vote for their favourite and that would be the song that went forward to the Eurovision Song Contest. The qualifications exactly. competition. E exactly that, well said. Anyway... Um, I sent my script for Terry uh, to Guy Freeman, who was the producer, and Guy Freeman sent me a very, very nice email by return saying, I've just read your script and I can hear Terry saying it. And I thought, well, yeah, that's my job. But it was, yeah, it was, I must admit, okay, I'm gonna big myself up here, but it was a pat on the back, which I, I was very happy to receive. I've always, I said before, you know, the trick is if you can hear the performer's voice in your head, um, you don't necessarily know what they will say, but you definitely know what they won't say and how they'd say it. An excellent uh, accolade to hear yeah. back. I, I sent um, a letter to, a fan letter, to um, Anthony Horowitz, the novelist, who I'd long admired, uh, but his series foils war uh which had finished was voted number one in the radio a radio times poll which series would readers most like to come back and foils war topped that poll by country mile and i thought oh that's great so i wrote to anthony horowitz i kind of knew where he lived so i wrote to anthony horowitz personally saying congratulations on that you know we're the same age, we're contemporaries, I guess. Your career path took you in that direction. My career path as a writer took me in this direction, in the route of writing comedy. Uh, but I just wanted to say congratulations. And he wrote, he typed a very, very nice letter back. Long letter, saying what he was doing, how he was doing it, and rah, rah, rah. And, and also said, you know, we should meet for a drink. 
contact me, we should contact me, we should meet for a drink. And I thought that was very, very nice. I remember you and Angela, my associate on Steam Smoke and Mirror, saying, you should contact him. He said contact. So, uh, in the letter he said he goes, to the, uh, he spends the summer in, in Greece sometimes, and he would be spending that summer in Greece. Uh, so I waited for the summer to go, then, uh, then Christmas came and went, so I thought, you know, I will send an email to his, his, his assistant. Uh, but I, I also included an attachment, which was the letter from Anthony Horowitz, so she didn't know I was some punter, you know. Mr Horowitz suggested we might get together for a drink sometime or a cup of tea. Um, if that's going to be convenient sometime, you know, by all means. So I got a, an email back saying, oh, Anthony can see you on Tuesday at this time or Friday at that time. Come along to his apartment, which is which is near Smithfield. I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to get to meet the great Anthony Horowitz. OK. And so uh, we agreed a time and a date. So I went along, went to the apartment knocked on, rang the doorbell on the intercom. Yes, it's Colin Evans for Mr Horowitz. Oh yes, come up, Colin. So I went up and I sat, sat down and we shook hands. And it was all very polite and lovely. And he was very, very friendly and very, very charming and said, tea, we must have some tea. So he went to the kitchen, made some tea. We chatted, uh, made the tea. We sat down again. And then he said, now, what is it you want from me? Why are we meeting? And I thought, oh, there's been a bit of a miscommunication here. I thought this was going to be a little social chat, but you think it's you think it's some sort of businessy kind of thing. So I very quick. Oh, yes, absolutely. Which maybe he's rather sick and tired of getting from chances like me. And I said I want absolutely nothing from you. I just basically reiterated what I said in the letter. And so he he then relaxed hugely. But um, after about fifteen minutes, I said, look. I'm going to go now. You're busy. Great to meet you. Uh, and thank you for your time. I've enjoyed our chat, but I'm going to go now. And he said, oh, before you go, you must have a book. And I said, no, I don't want anything. I've come just to say, you know, thank you for what you do. Let's have a chat about writing. I'm going now. But he insisted he, that uh, he signed a, a James Bond book to me, which is very, very nice. Uh, one of those occasions where actually the, the letter that you send goes slightly... Off trajectory, let's put it that way, you know. But I must say, in fairness to the man, he was immensely charming and I, and I admire his prolific output hugely. Anthony Horowitz, um, one of the masterful writers of thrillers and whodunits and, of course, the Alex Ryder series. And goes to show what sometimes can uh, arise out of a letter. Yeah. Or a meeting or, you know, some sort of nice... Um, experience, I suppose. Experience. Mm. As a result. And as always, it was very inspiring. You know, you come away thinking, OK, yeah, this is what you can do as a writer. Now, we had some sad news uh, earlier in the week. The news of Tom O'Connor, uh, who sadly passed away this week. Do you have any memories of working with Tom O'Connor? Mm, vivid and very happy memories of working with, with Tom. He was the most charming man. I got the opportunity to work uh, on a... Tom O'Connor show. I took over a script associate role from a previous writer called Barry Faulkner, uh, who left the show for reasons I, I don't know. I think he had other stuff to do, and so the producer in the events and entertainment en events and entertainment mouthful department at the BBC um, asked me if I wanted to come along 
and I met Tom and we got on very, very well. I know that Spike Mullins, the, the great comedy writer who used to write those Ronnie, Bar Ronnie Corbett in the chair monologues for the two Ronnies. I know Spike had written for, for Tom extensively in the past. And the great thing about Tom O'Connor was that he didn't do jokes. He was one of the first exponents of uh, observational comedy, really. He would uh, address himself to various situations which were amusing. But I got on famously with Tom, did two series of the Tom O'Connor show, and then, I, I guess, um, as, as a vote of confidence, I was invited to work with him on uh, many, many series of a show called I've Got a Secret, a BBC Two a uh, panel show. Uh, the clue to the show is in the title, of course. <laughs> You've got a secret. The panel of, of, of celebrities need to guess based on the clues that you offer them what your secret is. Um, we had a great deal of fun doing that that particular show. And uh, I have fond memories of Tom. He did. He found himself in a bit of a pickle, got himself into the Sunday papers um, and laid low. That was on the Sunday. On the Thursday, he called me up. I was living in Chessington. I just married your mum. I was living in your mum's house in Chessington at the time. And Tom called there and said, Hi, Carl, it's Tom O'Connor. I said, Hey, how are you? And he said, Well, I've had better weeks, <laughs> which I thought was lovely. He said, I'm back on stage tonight. I'm playing this club. Uh, can you just give me a couple of lines which will maybe just get me back on? So at the time, um, Eddie Murphy, for some reason, this was 1988, I think, Eddie Murphy, for some reason, had got himself into the headlines in the US uh, under circumstances, which I truly can't remember, but it, it made news over here as well. So the joke I wrote was, and I don't think you could do it now, but the joke I wrote was, um, I invited Tom to, to come on and say, well, it's been quite a week for me. Um, I... I even disguised myself as Eddie Murphy. But look at the trouble I'm in now. OK, that was the joke, which got a very, very good laugh and appeared in the newspapers the next day under uh, Tom makes his comeback for the first time after his, his difficulties. Uh, and that joke was quoted. And so that, that was great. And uh, that stood me in OK stead with, with Tom as well. Uh, I had, I, then we kind of lost contact and he moved not far from where we are. He moved to, to GX, Gerald's Cross. And I contacted him a couple of times, but he wasn't well at that then. Uh, and I could tell he would be too tired to meet up. And so I never actually, after he moved to, to Buckinghamshire, I never got the chance to, to meet up with him for, for a cup of tea, which is a, a sense of great sadness. But he was a, a superbly skillful uh, comedian. Uh, and I, I, I miss him terribly. And of course, a great game show host. Mm. He, I think he, he hosted at least a dozen game shows with consummate skill, you know, certainly up there with Bob and Bruce and, and, and the great game show hosts. So yeah, Tom, fondly remembered and, and a, a great man. And another unfortunate great loss of, of that era. Yeah, we're of an age now where it's happening more and more. And, but who would have thought, yeah, who would have thought, Tw <laughs> 25 episodes, 25 episodes of this old nonsense of me gabbing, and it's, actually it's nothing to do with me, it's to do with the people that have agreed to come on, on this podcast to chat to us, and have been very generous with their time in, 
in 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 talking and, sh- and sharing their behind the scenes anecdotes. Yes, it's been good because we've had people that appear in front of the camera, behind the camera, hold the camera, or yes, you know, exactly um, that musical. I know. In fairness, I've got to say it's down to you for, as I say, cajoling me to do these podcasts. You were listening to Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington doing their podcast years ago. Uh, and you were saying to me, you should do this. No, I, nah, I you know, don't think so. I mean, we are talking about the, the magnificent, godlike Ricky Gervais and the magnificent Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington, who's also a genius. I don't think I can do anything that's going to touch those. But when lockdown came, you said to me, come on, we've got to do this now. Okay, we'll give it a try. But actually, I've got to say, it, it is great fun to do. I do enjoy doing them. Well, we have to. Uh, we certainly have to thank our guests and thank you for your continued efforts as well mm-hmm. in uh, pushing, pushing episodes and getting people to tell their tales. And hopefully, everyone is continuing to enjoy. Um, we'll be a, a little bit of a, a shorter episode this week as it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. But more guests coming. Hopefully you will enjoy. Uh, we've split it up into three separate series. I'm sure the listener probably hasn't been aware of that. But we <laughs> yes. did have sort of a gap yes. between each series of a week's break to sort of uh, recoup and Go- plan out the next sort of mini series of seven our, to eight episodes. Regird our loins and all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. Recharge the batteries. Uh, but, but also we've got a lot of lovely guests lined up um, a, a phone call I had today has secured another interesting guest I, I, I won't we shan't reveal them we shall leave you on tender all right, okay. all right okay um, yeah, for the listeners enough. but fair uh, we thank you all very much for listening and also if you have any questions or comments please do go to www.steamsmokeandmirrors.com and you'll find the uh, contacts tab there where you can input any questions that you may have uh, and you'll get a reply, be it via uh, pigeon or <laughs> it may even appear on next week's episode yeah. to be answered on the podcast. For sure, absolutely. Cause, yes, I, I, having exposed myself as someone who, who writes letters and who replies to letters, yes, I'm, uh, I'm not going to let you down. So thank you all very much for listening and thank you all for your continued support. Thank you, Dad, for continuing to do the podcast and leaving us with many a wondrous tale on and anecdote. Uh, there's many more to come. Many more to come. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I'll thank Mark Edmonds because I, I know so many of you have been wanting to hear his, his magnificent tones again. Uh, thank him for the idea. Thank him for hosting this. And uh, I will see you next week. Thank you.